the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. It is a delight to bring back to the show one of our favorites, one of my favorites to be sure, and that is Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, among so many other things. You want to follow him on Twitter uh, over at, uh, what's your Twitter handle, Pete? It's Pete4CA, isn't it? That's it. Pete, Pete, the number four CA. There you go. Pete four CA. It was one of these funny moments. Everything was ready to go. I I had done all my prep, and then (laughs) all my buttons went out. Everything went dark. (laughs) Has that ever happened? Lights, camera. Hold on. (laughs) So I I apologize. How are you, and how are things in Southern California, Pete? It's beautiful here today, Seth, and uh, great to be with you. It's always a great way to conclude the week, but I know what you mean. We've been doing so many of these webinars yeah. on Zoom, and I just did one yesterday. We had uh, well over a hundred people signed up for it, and sure enough, right in the middle of it, you know, somebody's camera who was uh, I was interviewing uh, this person remotely just completely froze up, yeah. and we had to work around it. You know, it just, it just <laughs> happened. Pete, you've yeah. been long worried about something I've long been worried about, and your school does a great job of it, especially with the kinds of professors you have. Wilfred McClay, I saw you had Hersey Ali in your campus recently, too. Yep. Um, she had a great piece in the Wall Street Journal, by the way. If you haven't yeah. seen it, I commend it to the audience. Um I worried about I'm worried about what's going on right now in the country. I'm worried about um, our degraded sense of patriotism or our downgraded and degraded sense of patriotism. And I'm worried about uh, these really students that you're not teaching, that are not in your classrooms, that are not on your campus, that have gotten just the wrong message about this country such that they want to tear not just down the parts that um, – that 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 might have been uh, uh, that might have been artifacts and 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 redolent of the Confederacy, but take down the statues of the people that fought the Confederacy. I know it's I know. it's something else here, Pete. What what's well, going it's a on? Combination of factors, right, yeah. Seth? I mean, part of it is is just a simple ignorance of history when you're pulling down U.S. Grant statue, for example, and other abolitionists that just shows a profound misunderstanding uh, or lack uh, or ignorance of of our own history which is which is damning enough the other part of it is the license that many feel that if they disagree with something they can simply throw a rope around it and pull it down right and that that two-edged sword there um, as you rightly point to um, in many ways, has been hatched on our college campuses, yeah, right? And right. it began when we started to conceive of this term that politic or that um, speech is violent, yes, yes right? right? 
And the minute that we crossed that Rubicon, when things were being taught in our classes or speakers or so on, that um, the simple utterance of certain words or phrases or concepts could be construed as actual violence mm-hmm. upon another person to be determined by that other person, right. by right. the way. They, get right. the, they, they are judge, jury, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. right. That's exactly right. right. Uh, that was really the beginning of of so many bad things, and I just I remember the piece three or four years ago by Victor Davis Hanson. I think it was in National Review when he talked about this this college culture that is or academic culture that's spilling out into the broader culture. And uh, I think we're certainly seeing that today. Yeah, it's a funny thing. There's a lot of things that have fed into this. Um, uh, that uh, speech is violence. In some respects, I blame even some, not just our schools, I blame our courts, too, and our jurisprudence. Uh, Walter mm-hmm. Burns, I don't know if you remember Walter Burns, a scholar at yeah. AEI for many years, former yep. former professor at uh, Georgetown, one of the famed students of Leo Strauss, right? And yeah. he um, he was talking way back in 1989 about that uh, Supreme Court case, Texas v. Johnson, the flag-burning case. And he says it's a neat trick the Supreme Court has pulled here because we all can read the First Amendment after the religion clauses and see that the founders, who were very skilled in the art of language, by the way, talked of freedom of speech. All of a sudden, the Supreme Court starts talking about what freedom of expression which is not exactly the same as speech. So not only yeah. not only can speech be violence, but in cases like that, we have cases where violence is speech and was yeah. taught to be expression, at least, by way of speech. So I think well, aren't that, we seeing yeah. that now, yeah. Seth? Yeah. Aren't, yeah. aren't we seeing that now? I mean, when you, when you heard some of these recent interviews with Governor Cuomo in New York about not addressing the violence that is happening against uh, some of our memorials and statues. He basically said that that's just another form of expression that that needs to be allowed. And again, this whole concept of the person doing it being judge, jury, and executioner in this case um, of public monuments Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, is really something that uh, we we need to confront. Do you think that, see, so here's what I'm wrestling with, Pete. When I see the Antifa and BLM movements going after statues of Lincoln and Grant and Washington yeah. and Jefferson, I think, I, and I don't know the answer to this, I wonder what your, what your thought is, are they, are they, are they miseducated? Have they, have they bought into the warped and wrong-headed view of what those gentlemen stood for? Or... Do they just not care and know it's America and America's foundations, and that's what has to go, because 1619 is what's important, not 1776? Unfortunately, uh, this this seems like a a squirrely answer, Seth, but I think it's both. I I, I really do think that there are people motivated by uh, a simple ignorance of history, but I, I, I think the other part that you raise is probably... The more anything American has to go, or anything from 1776 has to go. That's that's well, what, but, yeah. but actually, I think what's so damning about this again is that anything since anything before yesterday ah, needs to go. Ah, ah, yeah. I mean, what, I mean, it, when we're when we're tearing down Lincoln, we're not we're not going back to 1776 anymore. Right. You know, we're going back to 1865 or 64. Yeah. And. Uh, 
And what are the other statues from the 1900s? I mean, here's Teddy Roosevelt being shuffled out the door, right? I mean, and I think it's the wrong Roosevelt if racism is their problem, by the way. Exactly they've, they've got the right. wrong Roosevelt. That You know, there is a monument to Franklin Delano Roosevelt in Washington. Perhaps you've seen it. It's the biggest of the monuments. It's, it's, yes. it's a walk, right? It's like four different, four different monuments in one, maybe five. And... Uh, do I need to remind what he did to 110,000 people based merely on the purpose of race? They've got the wrong Roosevelt. They really do. And again, but it, but it, it speaks to this moment that we're in where people have been taught not only was the founding an original sin that is essentially irredeemable, mm-hmm. but really anything that came out of that then uh, becomes irredeemable. Right. Now, of course, the logical next question is, where is this all going? Mm-hmm. What, is, what is the world that these people aspire to that is somehow going to be this radical transformation, this heaven on earth? Mm-hmm. And uh, they're rarely, if ever, able to define what that might mean. What are the metrics by which we will understand this world that we no longer have to tear down statues, that we can actually be proud to be Americans? Um, but again, that's what makes this also maddening and disconcerting. I think for all, even those on the left who, who see these things happen and, and wonder where where is this going? Where does this stop? Where where do we understand ourselves to be rightly redemptive of this supposed infernal past? David McCullough said, "Amnesia of your country is as bad as amnesia in the mind." But the reason I wish I could be in Pepperdine with you all right now is because of your guy, Wilford McClay, your professor, Wilford McClay. You know, he has that great history book, Land of Hope. The introduction is beautiful. I almost wish there was a way to just publish the introduction. He has this wonderful two sentences in there. He writes, without memory and without the stories by which our memories are carried forward, we cannot say who or what we are. Without them, our life and thought dissolve into a meaningless, unrelated rush of events. Well, as Thomas More said, I show you the times. Wilfred McClay, who teaches at Pepperdine, your school, um, Ronald Reagan professor, right? That's correct. That's a great title. Ronald Reagan professor at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. That's got to be about the best title in the world, if any, academic. (laughs) But he talks about without our history. He writes in an introduction to his book, uh, our lives dissolve into a meaningless, unrelated rush of events. And I have long complained about what I label the crisis industrial complex, Pete, that we're always put in this state of agitation from cable to social media. And it's just not healthy in a civic in, uh, enterprise. If you think just about this year, which is what halfway through about now, um, we started the year with constitutional crisis impeachment, Right. That goes immediately into pandemic, that goes immediately into race riots. I mean, this is a lot to handle and process, and I worry that we're not doing it well. No, I think that's right. And I think it's a certainly, as with so many things we're experiencing today, a mixture of factors. There are those that are for lack of a better phrase, taking advantage mm-hmm. of a crisis mm-hmm. and, and seeking to press forward certain policies and uh, concepts that would have been 
unheard of six months ago, but here we are uh, living in a much different world where a Lincoln statue can be threatened to be to- uh, torn down because of his supposed racism. Mm-hmm. And so um, that that ability to remember, and this is something that Bill himself has taught me so well, it, there's actually a posture to remembering that puts you in a position of understanding, A, that it's not all about you, mm-hmm. and B, that the things that we are building upon, that we are essentially stewards, right, of this time that we're in. We've we've been given certain things to us, hopefully to improve. The old Boy Scouts saying that we leave things better yeah. than, than we found them. Yeah. Um, but we are going to hand them on to somebody else. And I think what again, is so disturbing about this moment that we're in, especially from some of the more radical voices that we're seeing, is that everything that we've been given, apparently, by our forefathers is is not only something to be ridiculed, it's something to be completely upended and, um, and in the very least, questioned as to the motives that others had. And and again, that's not a sustainable posture. No. To go back to Bill's, um, you know, good word about that. Yeah. That if we're always in this posture, of saying that that the present and the past really need to be overcome or radically transformed, at at what point are we making change out of the concepts and institutions that were handed to us? And I think, again, that's that's one of those important things about memory and the ability uh, to remember, because the 20-somethings or the 30-somethings that are pulling down statues today, God willing, are going to be 70, 80, and 90-somethings at some point, and uh, what have they bequeathed? And I think those are, those are questions always worth asking of ourselves. Yeah, see, what really worries me is that when we saw this in 1967-68 in your state a lot, but also um, in Chicago, uh, what happened to those 18-year-olds is they became our professors, or not mine yeah. or yours, but they became these children's professors. Yeah. And, you know, what did they teach them? They taught them, see, this is the dramatic irony of history, to use an old Reinhold Niebuhr term, right? The irony of American yeah. history. The irony is... There are two views of the founding, and there have always been two views of the founding. And one view was that the founding was established to promote and extend slavery. And one view of the founding was that it accepted slavery in order to put it on the ultimate path of extinction. Right. The first view was held by Roger B. Taney in the Dred Scott decision, which universally used to be condemned. And it was taken seriously, so much so, that an institution arose around that notion with leaders with names like Jefferson Davis and Alexander Stevens, and they called their na- that the name of that institution the Confederacy. There was an opposing view to that, who said the founders did not think that slavery was a positive good, but was a positive wrong, and we wanted to put it on the path of ultimate extinction. And they looked at the Declaration of Independence, and they looked at the Northwest Ordinance, and they looked at the banning of uh, the importation of slaves as put in Article 2, Section 9 of the Constitution, and the compromises, and they fought a war on it. And 20 states were on that side, as opposed to 11 on the other. 
And the protesters today have bought into Roger Bitani's history. This is the irony of history. No, you're so right, Seth. And that's so that is very well put. The and I guess that's the other part of it as well, right? Is that as we look back to our past, you know, I'm I'm actually right. It's, uh, I was going to say ironic, but I don't know. Maybe it's it's, it's timely. I've been reading the Ron Chernow um, biography of Grant. Fabulous, um, fabulous book. Fabulous. Happening, and it's um, you know, it's really remarkable the the scale and scope of the blood that was spilled on this account. Yep. You know, as yep. as as you obviously allu- are alluding to in these two concepts of the founding, this this wasn't a a polite debating society topic. No. This was paid for uh, by the blood of hundreds of thousands of Americans. And and ultimately by the last person uh by the last martyr in Lincoln himself. Yep. Right. Every drop of blood drawn with the lash was paid with another drawn by the sword, right? Exactly. And so I mean the 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 moment that we're in today that we can't celebrate that, uh or it, or at least give it its due recognition and appreciation i think is is another thing that is so deeply disturbing about this the the lives that were lost on this account um you know again uh, that that really does stand to be newly recognized and appreciated well we will say of them as they said of themselves in the battle hymn of the republic as he died to make men holy they shall die to make men free and they did Pete Peterson, God bless you. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. Thanks for doing what you're doing at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, really. Always great to be with you, Seth. Thanks. Fight as hard against the age as pushes against you, Pete. Keep at it. God love you. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Michael Medved at michaelmedved.com for Town Hall. By embracing the slogan, defund the police, prominent Democrats undermine one of their central arguments for stringent gun control. For decades, the left has argued that law-abiding citizens shouldn't rely on firearms to protect their families, but should count instead on police professionals to guarantee their safety. But now, progressives seek to disarm the cops at the same time they hope to disarm private citizens, ignoring the dangers posed by well-armed criminals who have no intention of surrendering their guns. It's already illegal for chronic lawbreakers to own guns, but who's supposed to take those guns away if police forces are cut back? If the left is serious about reducing the presence of firearms in our big cities, then crippling police departments is exactly the wrong way to do it. Pushing citizens to arm themselves and generating a toxic new sense of insecurity. I'm Michael Medved. Sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom.